Hi everyone, I'm back again and this is Jay, aka Jill. Marie. You call me Marie. Like a few quite a few people call me Marie as well. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter who I am. Um what I do, I'm just here to run my mouth and talk about various things. So I tried to make a video, not sorry, another video, another YouTube video. I tried to run over this podcast yesterday and I was having a lot of problems in terms of I uh, halfway through this podcast, it just, I don't know, I messed up, I hit a button and quite a bit of it got deleted and it's not it wasn't there so I had the first portion and then the last portion but the middle was gone and I thought I did such a good job as listening to it it's really cool so yesterday I did a podcast called a quiet place and the conjuring so those are the last two movies I've watched so on Saturday I watched the conjuring part three the devil made me do it and then on the 29th of May, I watched A Quiet Place, part two. Um, and those are the two place things that I wanted to talk about. So let's start with The Quiet Place, part two. If you have not seen The Quiet Place, I, I don't know what to tell you at this point to get you to watch The Quiet Place, one and two. So if you hear any noise in the background, let me just say, I'm just flat ironing my hair and I've decided to just do this podcast. I know it's kind of ghetto and just ratchet. <laughs> but anyway, so The Quiet Place Part 2 came out this year, of course. It's still in the movie theaters at this point. It came out like at, I think the 27th of May and I saw it on the 29th. Okay, actually it was released on the 28th. Um, this film was directed by John Krasinski and he's, if you don't know, if maybe, you know, for those who... He actually was in that popular TV series, the American version of The Office. And um, very lovable character, uh, kind of Simon of a few other movies, but this is where he shined in this role where he was an actor, a director, and a writer. So in, the, in part one, John is playing a father of um, a family who was going through an extremely hard time trying to survive like a post-apocalyptic world that was invaded by blind aliens who had very a very keen sense of hearing. So in the first movie, the movie starts off introducing the, I think they're called the Abbott family. And basically you see how they survived the apocalypse. When the aliens landed, it kind of destroyed the, the world and people had to re, kind of relearn how to live and survive and because the aliens could hear very well any little pin drop they could hear they kind of attack anything they hear and kill you know and kill um kill whatever is moving so these aliens kind of remind me of loosely that weird sci-fi movie where they were on this planet and they were killing these big bugs that's what they remind me of i can't remember the movie but it came out in like the not a late 90s early 2000 like i think it was space star troopers i troopers space troopers star troopers something anyway um that's neither here or there <clears throat> they're just like aliens cgi aliens nothing special about them other than the fact they had the unique ability of hearing the most minute sound now the family 
is John and his wife, Emily Blunt. And Emily Blunt is actually his real wife. So she plays Evelyn, his wife. Then he has a son who is the middle child. His name is Marcus. And then they had an older daughter, uh, Reagan. She's actually um, hearing impaired and she had she has a hearing aid. She wears the implanted hearing aids that you stick on top of your head and hook into your ear. And the whole family knew how to sign because of her. So they had an alternative way of communicating because of their, their deaf child. And the last child they had was a young boy who died in the first few scenes of this movie. And this particular event in this movie kind of catapulted what happens from the beginning to end. So this, the dying of the killing of this child or the alien, you know, eating this child actually shapes the way the family behaves and um, reacts to each other and it kind of set the catalyst in motion. So basically the family is surviving on their little farm. They discover that they can't make any noise. Lucky for them, they knew how to sign language. And so what they did was they removed as many things as possible that could probably potentially cause noises, turned off everything. And they literally found ways like eating on, um, like eating, eating food on leaves, eating with their hands, not wearing shoes, keeping all the doors open so that they could come and go without opening the doors. Um, they all like reinforced their their um, attics, not, not not their attics, but their basement, so that it would be a little bit soundproof. And as time went on, they just learned how to deal with these aliens. So basically, after the first kid got killed, um, they went on with their lives. Three months after, the wife is pregnant again. I actually do not know how. I just don't know like it's an apocalyptic world and I'm pretty sure there's no birth control or whatever but also things happen and this is like a world where most of the modern stuff that we enjoy like birth control and things like that is not available so the wife gets pregnant and you see her at the point where she's almost about to give birth and they're preparing for her to give birth um, on a regular day, the family just do whatever to survive, forage for food, go to the um, old uh, grocery store and try to pick up whatever they wanted, and fish. they go fishing. There is a particular scene in the movie I thought was interesting. They had a scene where they passed by a bunch of potato chips, a um, bunch of potato chips on the shelf. That was like one of the only places where all the food was left. And there was no, there was no, no one took any potato chips. All that potato chips was still there. I thought it was funny because they paid attention to the details. Like no one is going to be daring to eat potato chips during this time because they're so noisy that the aliens would hear you as soon as you touch the bag and kill you. So basically, like I said, the mother is pregnant. Um, what happens is something happened that causes the family to get attacked by aliens and the father john krasinski had to sacrifice himself for his daughter and his son he dies and the mother gives birth and the movie ends with them you know having to deal with that and then their home their home burns down and then they kind of try to find some place to live now during this attack when the father um, was killed the oldest daughter, uh, Reagan, I think it's Reagan, that's her name. She discovers that a malfunction in her hearing aid causes um, the aliens to go crazy and die because 
it was almost like this crazy feedback noise that you would get when you put two mics together or the, the connections of the audio is not working. And so that was discovered to be the weakness of the aliens. And they figured that with that weapon, they could try to use it and travel around um, trying to find a new place to live and they'll be able to kill the aliens when they have to. So that's it. That's basically it. If part one in part two, following the de the deadly event at the house the abbott family then is faced with of course trying to find a place to live and trying to find a place to survive in in the world they actually stumbled upon an old steel mill that was occupied by one of their friends emmett now emmett was uh, had a wife and a kid who died and he was living in the steel mill alone and when he saw them he couldn't believe they were still alive but also he couldn't believe that they were they had a little baby who couldn't help but cry so he saw that as a weakness and he did not want to help them but the mother pleaded with him because they knew him he's a family friend and so he allows them to stay for a limited amount of time of course something happens and he goes off on a magical adventure with the oldest daughter and they discover there's an island where people have survived because another thing about the aliens is they can't swim that, that well. So anybody who made it to the island will most likely survive and live in, well, I won't say paradise, but a lot of things led to uh, one another and the aliens got to the island but I think the movie ended very well because they found a radio station to broadcast the feedback loop of the um, the weird noise that the aliens cannot start listening to so that anybody who's listening to the radio station and would hear this if there's an alien in earshot it would just kill all of them and then the movie end there I must say that a quiet place was very fulfilling it was like going out to a restaurant and having a meal, appetizer, main course, dessert, drinks, coffee, whatever. A full course meal where everything was just immaculate. The food was very good and it wasn't going to cost your arm and a leg to eat a dine there. That's how I see The Quiet Place Part 2. It was the most complete horror movie that I've seen so far. For the year actually because i mean i watched unholy i watched quite a few the, the last zombie movie that came out with um the wrestler dave batista uh quite a few things i've watched um that i thought was really neat but nothing stacked up to the quiet place and in saying that i make my transition into the conjuring the conjuring is a universe i'm very familiar with the conjuring the first movie came out in 2013 the second movie came out in 2016 and now it's 2020 we've been gifted with the conjuring part two the devil made me do it which is based on a real case of course i would say loosely based on a real case and of course this is dealing with ed ed and lorraine warrant and all the crazy mayhem that happens around their lives because they're paranormal investigators so in the conjuring part three it starts off, of course, with them doing an exorcism on a little boy who's possessed by a demon. And they were successful, but the only success came when the demon was passed from 
the little boy into his sister's boyfriend. And of course, that, that ends badly because he then kills his landlord and is put on trial for it and he claims the devil made him do it. So in order to present this properly, they have to call in Ed and Lorraine Warren to testify. And of course, there's a lot of weird shit that happened in the movie. But I must say that unlike The Quiet Place, I didn't feel as fulfilled. I felt like the movie ran a little bit longer than I expected it to run. Um, it just felt like it dragged on in some areas. Um, uh, special effects was really nice in some cases. I really loved the scenes where they had the demon possessions and the people's bodies were contorting into shapes and just... Um, it was just actually interesting to see because I kind of wonder, is this all CGI and how much of this is really a true, a really gifted person who could do all these weird tricks. Anyway, uh, anyway, basically in the movie, they're trying to prove the innocence of this guy based on the fact that he was possessed. The story kind of drags on. I, they had a lot of what I call, I don't know if I call it, for telling of the story based on the items that they talked about a lot the the, the glimpses that the camera takes and um lingers on certain items and you know that item will be important in the story quite a few jump scares some of the the looks of the demons are really interesting i think one a few scenes that really got to me as in why are they there was a scene when they went to the morgue and this corpse get reanimated and started chasing um, Lorraine and Ed and it happened about two times in the movie and I thought that was just bogus um, it, I don't know why but they over exaggerated this stuff a lot so if I had to write The Conjuring I'll give it a C minus I'll be honest with you The Conjuring part one was perhaps the best Conjuring not because of who it was directed by but there was a subtle creepiness about it that just presented itself in the best like light manner like basically in the conjuring one there wasn't a lot of special effects we hardly saw a demon or anyone turning into a demon until the kind of near the end of the movie so there was like building up of this suspense there's all these dark and gray shot shapes and shadows that people kind of existed around and made you question and wonder it and the story was well put together in The Conjuring 2, they could have done a little bit better. Uh, Conjuring 2, of course, this is the one that takes place in Enfield in England, which is a very popular haunting story about a family um, who gets, you know, a family who just gets uh, a single family, actually a single family, a mother and her children who gets um, like haunted by uh, poltergeist. Then in The Haunting 3, I think that they kind of use elements of all three movies, but they ramped it up. It's almost like they were so happy with the success of Hulk, oh, sorry, the success of part one that when they did part two, they decided to up the ante. Um, and in part two, it wasn't that bad, especially with the uh, story around, I guess we'll call it the Crooked Man. That was interesting, even though it's a little bit cartoonish then we went on to part three and then you have all kind of weird shit happening in one movie entertaining enough to get me to the movie theaters 
I don't know if I'll watch it again. Maybe I will with a group of friends, but would I go out of my way to watch it again? I don't. I don't think so. I won't do it. I just won't. Um, uh, I don't know what else to say about this movie other than if they really should have taken care and give us something better. By the end of the day, I'm happy for what we got in terms of there's a joy in the ability to go back to the movie theater. Um, I'm hoping that this summer and for the rest of the year, at least once a month, that's the minimum, I'll like to at least go out and see a movie. Of course, my preference is horror movies. I would still find a way to go out and watch something if I can every summer, every um, every weekend. If I can, I will go every weekend, to be honest with you. If I can't, then, oh well, I'll just try to go once a month. Anyway, that is it for this part of The Conjuring. Now, I was, okay, so basically I want to talk about Lorraine and Ed Warren. Um, I wanted to talk about the end of Conjuring 3. In, at the end of Conjuring 3, you know, they do the old thing where they show like pieces of real life um, pictures and clips from the actual trial and basically just trying to make you feel like the legitness of this true story. Then they had like audio of apparently the exorcism. I don't know how true this audio is to real life if they were using, they reenacted it or this was a real audio. While driving, while watching it, driving home and discussing it, the person I watched it with, I said, hey, you know what? I, I mean, I don't know these people very well, the Lorraine and Eds of the world, but wouldn't you think that adding in a real life audio of an exorcism would be dangerous? So I was like, I'm kind of hoping that was a reenactment, but I would put it past them to put in the audio of the real thing just to add a little pizzazz to it. But I'm like, would it be dangerous if people could get possessed by just hearing a possession audio? And I think maybe the reason why I thought about this was because I was watching a paranormal not documentary but TV show and there is a part in there where a family went to, uh, I guess a father and his young daughter went to a Bible study and it just happened that the Bible study the father went to, he thought it was okay to take his daughter and that day they were doing demonic, you know, possessions and things like that. And the pastor, whoever it was, bought in a copy of a real life exorcism. And once that happened, that family, I don't know, the little kid who was in the room started experiencing weird things. So I started to wonder if these people are really demonologists, paranormal investigators, um, why would they allow this movie studio to include original copies of a possession? I mean, other than the fact that, yeah, it's for money and entertainment, uh, I, I hope it's not the real thing. But that, re that reminded me, that part reminded me of something I discovered about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Not knowing them too much, not doing my own research, I didn't know that people used to accuse them of being scammers and fakes and whatever. I think to some extent they were actually telling the truth with a lot of the things. If you hear me making noise, I'm playing with some pins here, some um, paper clips. Basically, 
I think that they're telling the truth to some extent, but really over-exaggerating quite a few of the events. And what made me come to this conclusion was listening while watching a podcast called Lights Out. Now, Lights Out is a popular podcast that you could find on any podcast platform, but also it's on YouTube. It's Lights Out Podcast. That's Lights Out, separate words, podcast. It's ran by two brothers, Joel and Josh. And basically... They discuss cases, paranormal that you know, paranormal events, cults, possessions, things like that. And they have often discussed cases with Ed and Lorraine Warren. They call them the Warren Files, and they basically do things like the the haunting in Connecticut and quite a few other things that um, comes comes up with these family. Like I know that the first one I saw that they did, at least that I could remember, came out November 28 in 2020, and this was the haunting in Connecticut. But they also also did the whole haunting of that house called the Patron's family back um, I can't remember which state it was but they based the first conjuring movie on that and in listening to these guys talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren I started getting a feeling that uh, these two really were scamming to some level they had to be involved in trying to get publicity around certain things because I mean I'm sure that while they're doing the exorcism a lot of things didn't happen in the way that it came out in the movie or when they did interviews inside Jeffrey Raphael or Oprah and I remember distinctly listening to a podcast as this I think it's the same podcast where they said that the Patron family who had the first haunting in the 60s kind of accused of that Ed and Lorraine of overdoing it causing them to the, the um, poltergeist to be more stressed and more intense. And at one time, they actually, the father actually asked them to leave the house and never to come back because they felt like they were doing things that just didn't seem right. And it really wasn't until I listened to the Lights Out podcast, um, The Haunting in Connecticut, and this is episode 33, that I really started to question the legitimacy of these two. I'm not saying that everything they do is a scam or sh they're shamming, lying to us, but I'm, I'm saying that if you knew that you could become really popular from this, you could make extra money from this, I could see people putting in the extra sauce into these stories. Like for example, a good example, I guess, even though I know, I don't know where, was, where this movie was, what or who this movie was based around was The Last Exorcism, when that um, Salt Baptist pastor was he did a lot of exorcism throughout the years he got paid for it he built his house off of it and his legacy and he was faking it most of the time because of course he believed everyone who called him were crazy but he had to get his money's worth out of it and he figured out in the end especially in the very end that you know one of the exorcisms that he was doing was legit now i want you guys to listen to this piece of the podcast which i'm borrowing from lights out now lights out is a really cool podcast i really hope that people will go and listen to it they get more subscribers and that they can build a brand a major brand off this platform that will be profitable to, for them in terms of having a major income from this like there's some youtubers and podcasters that are so unproblematic they're stuff is quality work they're never doing any shady shit and 
sometimes the algorithms don't really give them the love that they need, but I'm going to be giving them the love that they need. Here is Joel and Josh from White Salt talking about Ed and Warren. Now, in this case, they've already discussed the whole issue with the haunting in Connecticut, all the things that happened. And now they're discovering based on the person who was hired to write the book, the neighbors who were around the family, that maybe the family lied about the whole experience because they couldn't pay for their rent. When the book writer came in, he actually couldn't find the family um, logic in what the family was saying because they were all saying and doing different things. The stories didn't match up. Another part of this was the, the Warrens also, the Owens also like turned, um, kind of said that most people who call them are not saying they're crazy. What do you expect? But then, you know, there's a lot of contradictory stories, but listen to this part. ...have been driven out. And six days later, the Seneker family moved to Tennessee. And no dark forces or entities followed them. So basically, this Seneker family is a family who said that, you know, that place to live in that was once a funeral home was haunted. Um, apparently, Ed and Lorraine came, did the exorcism, and then six days later, after that, they moved to Tennessee. But listen, after the story got a ton of publicity, they wanted to distance themselves from the house and from this case as much as possible. And they were actually very unhappy with how the Warrens handled the publicity around it. Carmen believed Ed and Lorraine were using them to make money and increase their own fame. Well, there you go. I mean, that validates pretty much what I just said earlier. It's also kind of interesting to me that after this exorcism was performed on the house and apparently everything was cleansed and blessed and everything's good to go demons are out that the Snedekers are like all right now's the time we're gonna bail we're gonna leave town and get away from everything yet we could have done that two years ago yeah so why they wait you know there's definitely some controversy with this case actually there's quite a bit later on Daryl Kern who's the owner of the home and was renting it to the Snedeker family along with a few neighbors agreed that the supposed haunting started when the family got behind on their rent and they moved out before the eviction proceedings began. Another neighbor said in an interview that she believed Alan Carmen had planned all along to fake the hoax in order to avoid paying rent. A woman named Sandy who lived in the upstairs apartment of the house claimed she never experienced anything supernatural. I think that's the biggest piece of evidence if that's true and again there's no way to really verify any of this but if sandy's statement is true then that does really make me question all this activity and claims and i must say after watching the clips of carmen and al did anybody else get the feeling that they were kind of acting and kind of just yeah shit a little up? bit because i just Okay, so that's just a little bit of it right there. But basically, there's a feeling by the homeowner, the neighbors, and quite a few people that the family was probably adding a little bit extra to this. And then when the Lorraine, when Lorraine and Ed got involved, it just blew out of control. Um, they hired someone to write a book, and the person who was writing could not even write the book. And basically, it was a fictional, it reincarnated. Um, a fictional book basically i was like why would they 
want to write a fictional book about what happened instead of something that has facts in it. But apparently he couldn't even come up with an angle because the family seemed like they were lying. No one in the family had the same unified story. So he was definitely worried that the case wasn't true. He came to the, the warrants and said, hey, this is what I'm finding. And they said, just write something up, come up with something. Because to be honest, half of the people that we call us aunt sane later on they accused their father of being on drugs and and being abusive so it was like shady stuff with these stories which at the time of listening to this podcast really made me feel like the warrants were very odd but listen to the last part suspicious so this hoax theory that we just put forward has been backed up by the experience of horror novelist ray garton Ray was actually commissioned by the Warrens and the Snedekers to write a non-fiction account of their experiences in the home called In a Dark Place, the story of a true haunting published in 1992. But when he went to interview the family and the Warrens and everybody else about this haunting that they had just experienced, it was very difficult to get a straight story, almost impossible in fact. He claimed their stories kept changing and each family member gave conflicting details. Nothing seemed to add up. And much later, Ray said that the Snedeker family was going through serious issues at the time. He said Philip was an alcoholic and drug addict who took LSD quite often. The Snedeker family believed that most of this book was entirely made up. And Carmen claimed that they barely spoke to Ray and that Ray never even met with Philip. And the family strongly refutes the alcoholism and drug accusations about their family. But all this did not stop Al and Carmen Snedeker and Ed and Lorraine Warren to appear together on TV multiple times to talk about the haunting and the exorcism. During one appearance, Ed refused to talk about the ritual and lashed out when he was asked direct questions about what had happened. Ed accused one of the neighbors who appeared on the show with them of being paid off, and he threatened anyone who seemed to doubt him. Ed Warren seemed disinterested in establishing any credibility in this case. When Ray went to Ed to talk about the inconsistencies in the Snedeker's family's stories, Ed allegedly said, quote, Oh, they're crazy. All the people come to us are crazy. So there you have it. Like basically, of course, they disbunked that part, but who knows? Um, At this point, I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. I'll I'll insert my commercial and give me a second. So I'm back again, speaking about The Conjuring and Ed and Lorraine. So I was referring to a podcast called Lights Out. Lights Out is one of my favorite podcasts. I watch them on YouTube and I actually like listen to them on Spotify and a few other platforms. I have two phones, so I actually make sure I add them to each of my phones. Um, So basically we're talking about The Haunted in Connecticut. I know it's not similar to this case um, that they recently turned into a movie, but really like I said, at the end of The Conjuring 3, something made me believe that the husband and wife team here are just, I mean, they're like lying to the public for most of it. They're like over-exaggerating a lot of things. And I, I don't know. I just think it's hilarious, but also even interesting how popular these people are, Ed and Lorraine, compared to the people who are having these experiences. Anyway, basically what was happening here is a lot of people 
who are involved in the whole case of the haunting in Connecticut, whether it's the neighbors upstairs, the neighbors on both sides, the rental agency, um, people who did the family kind of felt like they were lying. And they're doing this because they really wanted not to pay rent. And I could see why, because if you remember how this story goes, the reason why they moved into that place is because his son had cancer and they wanted to live closer to the hospital. And that was a really nice place to be because of his proximity. And listen to the rest of what the Lights Out podcast had to say. Like I said, I'm going to leave the link inside my description so you guys could just go click on their YouTube channel, like their pages, subscribe, leave um, remarks and comments and things like that. You think sane people come to us? Ed apparently told Ray to use whatever worked and make up the rest. He said just make it up and make it scary. People who knew Ed personally strongly deny this and insist he had devoted his life to studying the paranormal and would never risk his and Lorraine's reputations. But later on, much of the family stories were then mirrored in the 1980 horror movie The Entity, which in that, a female protagonist is assaulted by an unseen entity, and Carmen's description of her attack was very similar to the one in the movie. And when Carmen was asked on a TV appearance why the family didn't just move, Carmen explained that moving would be pointless since the demons would follow them. Hmm, that doesn't sound totally logical and sane to me. But on another occasion, when asked the same question, she gave a different answer. She said that since only the kids experienced the haunting, her and Al didn't know that anything strange was going on, which is a major inconsistency in their family stories. Neighbors remained skeptical partly because the family seemed so happy. They were always laughing and joking with each other. They didn't look like they were going through this demonic possession of their home. Apparently one time a neighbor found the whole family out late at night, outside, saying they couldn't go back inside the house for whatever reason, but they didn't seem afraid. They seemed like they were perfectly happy having a good old time outside. But despite all this, people outside the immediate family did experience strange things inside this house. One neighbor said she was stung by an invisible force as soon as she walked inside. And Al's sister reported some of the same strange things the family experienced. Several priests were involved in the case as well, and they all reported feeling an abnormal pressure when entering the home. But even after the Seneca family got out of the house, they were still willing to come on TV and talk about their experiences, you know, with the warrants and everything. And they did that for many years. And I think a lot of people would be like, you know, if this really happened to a family, why would they want to come on TV and keep talking about these horrible, horrible, experience, traumatic experiences that happened to them in that house? It is definitely a little questionable for sure. But fast forward to today, the Snedeker children and their cousins are all grown up now and they have children of their own. And they all maintain that the house they lived in as children were haunted. Carmen and Al ended up getting divorced in 2005. Carmen apparently has- Okay, I'm gonna stop it there. Um, basically, you know, the kids grew up and they still believe it. I do believe the house was haunted, but I felt like most of the true experience was experienced by the children. Because for one point, the kids stayed in the fucking basement and that's where the embalming funeral home and all the bodies were stored. So, I mean, it could be. I do believe that they, they are hauntings. People do get haunted. Um, Lorraine and Ed was offering a really cool service. And I think that it worked for mo in most places, but I don't think hauntings in the ca in this case take shape in the same manner like like um, what we would see on TV. Like I've noticed based on some of the hauntings, especially the most popular ones that you hear of, um, 
when I do the research and I try to figure out the family, you know, dynamics or how long they stayed in the house. In some of the cases, some of these families stayed in the house for years until they moved. And most of it had to do with the fact, well, they didn't have the money to move out. But I don't know, like, I feel like if it was as bad as um, the Warren portray, I would have been, uh, sorry, I'll be gone. Like, I wouldn't be staying there, but that's just me. But there are other mini documentaries that kind of look at hauntings and reenact those hauntings and some family do skedaddle like immediately as soon as things like that happen if it's too much they just say fuck it and they leave but i'm not going to say the haunting in connecticut is not legit but what i would say is that ed and lorraine add their fucking sauce to the mix and they kind of make it scarier than it really is at times but there are cases that are really crazy and it really takes the cake so i'm just standing here talking and i'm going to end this but every time i look back at my computer screen so if you've ever used anchor basically you're recording and there's a time running so you say you're recording right now and then you see six minutes and 16 seconds or whatever every time i look at the screen earlier i would see three numbers all the same so the first time i look at it i saw three 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 so that's three minutes and 32 seconds i should say i saw the two 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 one 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 and i just the last one i saw was four 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 but it doesn't matter i think that's interesting because someone says that there are signs or synchronicities which i'll probably do a video on that soon i thought it was interesting i saw two 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 three 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 and four 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 so basically when i talk i tend to look away and do other things like i said i'm flying in my hair i washed it it's always a chore to wash your hair when you're like a mixed girl like i'm having big puffy curly hair does not help so i wash my hair once a week and i fly iron it out or do a, like a blood or something to get a little bit straighter but it takes forever a few hours actually like washing conditioning deep moisturizing moisturizing blowing out flying and whatever but anyway i'm coming to the end of this i'm done for the day i mean what you guys think of the conjuring of course a quiet place is an a plus movie while i think the conjuring 3 is a c movie um the first conjuring was awesome as an a plus movie but they're really trying out their luck right here with these movies at this point but regardless of that i'm happy for what i'm getting because i enjoy going to the movie theaters i enjoy talking about movies and i'll see you guys later